the announcements today, uh, there's a meeting after the service. It is, you know, it, it uh, member meeting, business meeting after the service. We need uh, people to be there. There is a um, game night on March 17th. Next Sunday is a baptism. That's always a whoop, whoop. special Sunday. The, uh, the mission donation of the month is hygiene products for the uh, pile ministry. And uh, I've got a clipboard here that is a uh, your very best casserole carry-in on March 19th, two weeks. Uh, bring a casserole, a dessert, the social committee will provide salad. And this will be making the rounds. And they also said there's, there's a small forest down at the bottom of the stairs in the, in the uh, new foyer area there, kind of uh, tucked away. And those are giveaway things. I think they're trees that used to be up here. Uh, so if anybody wants one of those uh, items down there, <laughs> feel free to take them. If you can see through the trees. <laughs> if you can uh. see see the forest for the trees. Yeah. Oh, and just on, on that note of baptism, so we have a baptism, but if the Lord is uh, leading you or if you feel moved to be baptized, please come see me. Come chat with me uh, about baptism sometime this next week, okay? Church? First Peter 2.9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Well, we are. Uh, we've been in an incredible journey in the book of Mark. There we are. Um, in the book of Mark. And uh, we have discovered a lot of different things about Jesus. So, uh, by the way, if you're new, my name is uh, Pastor Shane and I'm so privileged to serve here at First Baptist. Um, we've been in the book of Mark, and in the book of Mark, it's all about answering the question, who is Jesus? Everybody say that with me. Who is Jesus? And our everything depends on how we personally answer that question. Who do we say that Jesus is? And so the whole book of Mark is written to force us to answer that question. And we've seen so far that Jesus is the king who has authority over evil. He's got authority over our health and our well-being. He has the power to forgive us on behalf of God. We found out that he's the strongest. He's even stronger than the strong man Satan and can defeat him. Amen? Jesus is the firstborn brother of many. And we found out that we're part of the family of God. Amen? And we found out that Jesus is the sower of truth and that he teaches in the way that he teaches. He understands human nature better than we do. Amen? All right. Today we're going to discover, as we look or dive into three parables, we're going to discover that he is a kingdom builder. He is a kingdom builder. And so he's going to share with us this morning the secrets of his kingdom, of the kingdom of God. Are we ready? Everybody buckle up. 
We got three parables that are going to reveal some incredible truths about the kingdom of God as it progresses throughout all of mankind, throughout all of history, throughout all of the world. We're going to discover three incredible truths about the kingdom of God this morning. Before we do, how many of you have things in your life that you would just prefer people not know? <laughs> right? Kind of even hesitant to raise a hand on that, right? Um, well, there's, we're going to discover this truth about the kingdom of God is that it tends to shine a light on things that maybe were a little uncomfortable to go, to go there. It reminds me, if I could tell you a story about uh, Becky and I when we were about to get married. Becky is my wife. We were in college, and I was just astounded at this woman uh, who became my wife. I still am astounded. I'm astounded at her. I'm just in awe that she would lower her standards enough to marry me and say yes. Um, but um, on, so we're going to premarital counseling before we're about to get married. And if you know, we had a long engagement. We had about a year engagement. And we did premarital counseling, which I recommend if you're here and you're going to get married someday, make it a prerequisite that you do premarital counseling with a biblical-based counselor, Okay. It doesn't have to be me. I love to do it. Um, but premarital counseling, in premarital counseling, we found out that a healthy marriage should be based on a, a relationship where there is no shame and that there's nothing hidden. There's nothing hidden between the two of you. And so I remember taking that to heart. And as I read that, I thought, oh my goodness, before the big day, the big marriage day, I need to sit down with Becky and I need to confess to her. There cannot be anything hidden in my past. And like many of you, I had sins in my past that I was deeply ashamed of. And there was like, man, if I was going to impress a girl, I didn't want to, I was so uh, conflicted. I didn't want her, if she heard all of the dirt and all of the junk that I brought into our marriage, would she run away in fear? And so I'll never forget that day as I humbly, I just, the Lord said to me, today's the day. And I went and I visited her at her house and we went on a walk and I was trembling. I was trembling. And I was like, today's the day I have to confess to my bride-to-be so that there will be no hidden things, no past history that she won't be, she will know everything about me. And I remember we walked up this hill in Casper, which is very windy if you guys know Casper, right? So I, I'm, as I'm talking, I'm having to talk loud over the wind and I began to just, I began to weep with her and I began to confess these sins and these things that I did before my life in Christ, even during my life in Christ in college, I did some things, and I was just confessing my sins to her with tears in my eyes, and as I stood there in the quietness of her response, I did not know how she was going to react, and it was in that moment that with tears in her eyes, she said, I forgive you, and I love you, and she gave me a big hug, and it was in that moment that I just felt like something, something was released, and there was now an intimacy in our relationship. She knew everything. There was, it was all out on the table, and she still said yes. And she still married me by God's grace. And there was that moment, that intimacy, that, that our marriage relationship was established on. See, the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of God, we know that it's based on relationship and connection to Jesus. And so there's this sense that God is trying to get us Back to a place like in Genesis, if you remember in the garden, Adam and Eve, they were naked and unashamed. 
There was no shame. There was nothing hidden between them. Right? And so the kingdom of God is on this endeavor that we would all come to a place where we no longer have to spend so much time and effort trying to hide things. Isn't that exhausting? Doesn't that put like strain on our relationship with one another and with God? See, the kingdom of God is one that shines a light on the sin and wants it all to be revealed. And that's uncomfortable sometimes. And that's hard. But that's good. All right, church, do we do hard things? Uh, There was some hesitancy there. There was some hesitancy there. Yes, when we follow Jesus, we do hard things. And so we're going to take a a look at these three parables. I just want to give you a reminder. When we look at parables, I usually compare them to a cactus. First off, we learned last week that when Jesus taught in parables, it was for the purpose of offending the prideful and inviting the humble. Offending the prideful and inviting the humble. And so if you're here and you're willing to receive this humbly, this will be a truth that can impact you eternally. And then secondly, uh, another thing that I wanted to add to it for us today, when we look at parables, we need to understand, I compare them to a cactus, that they're kind of pointy. Their purpose, when they were shared, Jesus was kind of being fighty. There was this point, there was usually a single, one single point to each of the parables that he was telling. It was to make a point to the audience that was listening to it. Typically, it was the Pharisees. But the thing about cactuses, they're kind of pointy, like they hurt, right? But there's something refreshing within. Parables are kind of like that. They're kind of sharp, and they kind of prick, but there's something refreshing inside of them. And so that's kind of the idea of a parable. As we look at these parables, they're exactly like that. So we're going to be looking at three parables about the kingdom, about the kingdom. The first parable that we're going to read about, um, and let's jump right in, verse 21. So if you got your book, your Bible, I hope you do, turn to the book of Mark. We're going to be in Mark 4, starting in verse 21. I'll wait for those soft pages to turn and arrive, or the warm glow of your device. <laughs> All right, Mark four twenty one. This is God's word. And he said to them, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Hey, we've heard this before. Jesus is doing an ear check. Everybody, ear check. Check them, making sure they're there. Check, check. All right, that's, yeah, check, check. Uh, Verse 24, and he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And so this first, as we look at this very first parable, it's about the lamp being put on a lampstand. And so the picture here is something that provides light. Now, many of us don't light with a lighter our lamps or our candles, maybe some of us, but a lot of us just kind of reach over and switch those puppies on at night, right? But the idea is something that gives light. Now, have you ever noticed when you're in a dark room and maybe you flip that switch, what happens when the light enters the room? 
The darkness flees. I like that, right? Like the darkness literally goes away and then everything in the room was revealed. Could you see it before in the darkness? No. So here's this principle that Jesus is trying to explain about the kingdom is, is that when the light comes on, there's going to be things revealed that we could not see. See, that's what the kingdom of God does. It comes in and it begins to reveal. It begins to reveal things that are hidden in the darkness. For me, when, when God came into my life and he began to reveal the kingdom to me and began to do a work in me, what it meant was that I couldn't just ignore my sinful behavior. It meant I had to deal with it. I had to confess it. I had to deal with it. So many of us are in the habit of um, picking up the rug, and when we can't clean up our room, we just do what with the dirt? Is it just me that does that? Don't look under my rug, Okay. This is my, <laughs> but many of us, in an effort to not have to deal with some of the hard, painful truths in our lives, some of the sins that we've committed, some of the sins that have been committed against us, we just try to kind of move on and ignore that they happened, and it's not easy to do, is it? Because there's always this burden of trying to keep them hidden and coming to light. Anybody under that pressure where there's something in your life where you just, you don't want it to come to fruition. And so here Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God is, is uh, something that, that for nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. See, the whole purpose of the growing kingdom of Christ is that it would be open and revealing. There's nothing hidden. When I think about so many different religions today, there's multiple layers, and, and when you get in the door, you don't first get at face value, you don't just get what they believe, do you? But there's sometimes things hidden underneath about what they believe, but Christianity is all out on the table, isn't it? The gospel is clear. The gospel is clear, and if you're here and you're exploring Christianity, maybe for that first time, you need to understand that there's nothing more than what you see in the Word of God. There's nothing more. We're not going to add extra things after the Word of God is all out on the table for all to see. That is the truth of reality when we look at. It makes me think, how many of you have ever read the story, is written by C.S. Lewis, Voyage of the Dawn Treader? Voyage of the Dawn Treader. There's this beautiful scene in Voyage of the Dawn Treader. I want to share with you an excerpt. There's this young lad named Eustace. Everybody say Eustace. And Eustace was kind of a naughty kid. Anybody relate to Eustace? I better see some hands up. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so Eustace, uh, in this story, he becomes a dragon because of his greed, because of his selfish behavior. He becomes this dragon, and all story is Eustace trying to not be a dragon. He wants to be a boy again. And Aslan, who's this lion figure, if you know from C.S. Lewis, he made symbolism very obvious in his stories. Aslan symbolized who? God, right? Christ, Jesus, right? And so he has, so this dragon, this boy who's a dragon comes in contact with Aslan, who is a lion. And here's what the lion says. Okay, keep in mind, the lion symbolizes Jesus. Then the lion said, but I don't know if it spoke. You will have to let me undress you. I was afraid. So this is Eustace talking. I was afraid of his claws. I can tell you, but I was pretty nearly desperate now. So I just lay flat down on my back and let him do it. And this idea then 
the very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. And so you get this picture in this story of the lion, Aslan, beginning to rip off the dragon scales of this young boy. And he's saying, it hurts. It hurts. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. The only thing that made me able to bear it was just the pleasure of feeling the stuff peel off, the nastiness, the dragon. You know, if you've ever picked up the, picked the scab off a sore, a sore place, it hurts like billy-o, but it's, it is such fun to see it coming away. Don't pick your scabs, kids. Okay. And I'm going to keep reading here. While he peeled the beastly stuff right off, there was a smooth and soft as, as a peeled switch and smaller than I had, and I was smaller than I had been. Then he caught hold of me. I didn't like that much, for I was very tender underneath now that I had no skin on, and threw me into the water. It smarted like anything, but only for a moment. After that, it became delicious, and as soon as I started swimming and splashing, I found that all the pain had gone from my arm, and then I saw why. I had turned into a boy again. Isn't that a beautiful picture of the kingdom of God? That it comes and it goes to work, and there's this sense where God wants to start picking at the dragon scales of our lives, of our hearts, of our sin. We know that we have sin and depravity, and so the kingdom of God begins to shine a light, but that's kind of painful, and it kind of leaves you feeling raw. And, have, and that's where we kind of question God, like, God, I don't like this. You ever read the Bible, and you're like, God, I don't like this. I don't want you to touch that part of my life. I like being in charge of that part of my life. I like being in charge and making my own decisions, but God's like, he starts peeling back these layers and revealing things. It's kind of the idea of the kingdom of God. And this works both individually and collectively. See, the ills of society are pointed out by this kingdom. That's why Jesus' kingdom is so offensive to this world. Did you know that? Because it comes in and it begins to shine a light in the darkness. And then what happens? Things get revealed and it's uncomfortable for all of society. It's kind of like, oh, that was in there? Our society is really good at just kind of ignoring that. Like, oh. It's you know, interesting to me when I share with kids that there's more sin and depravity in the world today than there's ever been in human history. You want to know an evidence of that? There's more slavery in the world today than there's ever been in history. There's over 27 million people that are still in slavery. A good portion of those are still in sex trade slavery. Are you kidding me, Shane? We're such a civilized society. Now we've evolved so much because of our science and our thinking, right? No, we've just invented new ways of depravity. We've, in, we've gotten more efficient at it, haven't we? See, the, the, that's why the more and more the world progresses, the more and more it's going to despise and hate the kingdom of Christ because we are people that address the darkness, not ignore it. By the way, throughout history, we've seen this played out. You know, the very abolition of slavery came from a, it came from a, a group of people uh, in England, but I think of William Wilberforce. You guys ever heard of this guy in history? He almost single-handedly began the ball rolling towards the abolition of slavery. That's incredible, but it was because of his faith that he endured 20 years, 40 years of trying desperately to get the world to embrace a world where there is no slavery, yet there is still slavery today. 
And we, we know this and we see this individually. When you become a Christian and you start to, anybody of you have ever had to serve somebody where you didn't really want to serve them? There's kind of this principle when Jesus talks about this kingdom of, uh, he exemplifies it for us when he washes the disciples' feet, he gets down. You know, I, I think it's funny. Everybody thinks that serving is really fun until you try to get them to do it. And very few people sign up. Like, we love the idea of service, right? The kingdom of God begins to reveal in us what? Our conceit and our selfishness. And here the kingdom comes in and says, love your neighbor as yourself and wash one another's feet. And we're like, oh, Lord, you just shown a light on my heart that I did not like. You ever invited somebody into your home that maybe is not like you? <laughs> maybe they're going to mess something up or break something. I used to have college students in my house all the time and they broke stuff. And I, would, I was like, they would have that twinge, that moment, like, Lord, I don't want these people in my house again. They eat my food and they break my stuff. And then I was like, oh, oh, Lord, sorry, that's my flesh speaking. Anybody have that conversation with God? See, the kingdom of God is this revealer of ourselves. And collectively, the church should be the place where nothing is hidden. Unfortunately, throughout history, human nature has reigned even in the church and we've seen things hidden, right? But I think we're in a unique season. We're in a unique season where the church is starting to lift up the rug and say, we can't ignore that anymore. We got to be careful, right? Things to have come to light about denominations and churches, including Baptists and, and, and Catholics and all, it's just, it's all coming out to light. And I think that's the progression of the kingdom of God. Because God is in the business of revealing what has been put into the darkness. Guys, that means that he's going to do that to the church first, okay? That means we're going to have to deal with some things personally and collectively with this idea that we have sin. Can we do that, church? Is it going to be messy? Are you guys prepared to do the gritty work? Or should we just stick our head in the sand and ignore? I think I want to get on board with the kingdom of God, amen? Because there's real healing there. Don't be a Christian unless you want to be called out. <laughs> it's kind of Jesus telling us in this, in this parable. Don't be a Christian unless you want to be called out. Churches ought to be the first to lift the rug and clean the dirt. We want to be people who do that. By the way, I had a good conversation with Tom Hovestall. I feel like I quote him every week. I don't mean to. But he's Tom. He's quotable, okay? Um. And so Tom, I was having a conversation with him, and he often said, the longer I'm a Christian, the less righteous I feel, and the more acquainted with the depth of my sin I am. But I want you to think about it. I, got the, I, I shared that quote with my wife, and as we were talking, I want you to understand that God is just not in the business of shining the light on our sin to make us hurt, to make us more ashamed. What does he want to do? He wants to bring us to a place where there is no more shame anymore. He wants to bring us back to that Genesis 3 where there is no shame. If you guys remember, Romans 8, the beginning starts with what? There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we are not afraid to deal with our dirt and with our junk and with our sin. You know why? Because we have been made righteous in Christ. It's not our righteousness. And so now we don't have to defend our pride. Anybody get defensive when people start to poke at stuff that you don't like? Well, Jesus does that, but we don't have to get defensive with him. 
See, this is the, king, the kingdom effect. To those that have Christ, there is an untouchable, untouchable abundance that will never cease to be given to you. The treasure is in heaven. So it doesn't matter what is destroyed or taken away from you because that is not where your value is. And so here's how our whole value system is different. When Jesus begins to poke at things that we don't want to give up, we're able to let those go because our value is not here. Where is it? In, in the kingdom of heaven, right? Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth nor rust can destroy. To those that don't have, don't, uh, that don't, life and death are the, the greater level. Um, there's this sense when you think about the kingdom of God, anything that we build in this life, there's going to be this imperfection. And so when the light hits it, we're going to both rejoice. Anybody remember in the temple when they built the temple again when, after it was destroyed and they had the celebration, but it wasn't good enough? It wasn't like it was before. There's kind of this sense that we're in this life going to be living and, and, and uh, that there's going to be this sense of the more that God shines the light, the more we're going to see the darkness even in us. But we can rejoice that one day, maybe not on this earth, we're going to be perfected. And that won't be here anymore. So what are the places that God wants to shine the light on your life? Is it maybe your job? And I think many of us try to build our identity around our job. I talked about this a little bit last week. If, if God shines a light on your job, are you, going, are you doing your job to take care of number one? Are you doing your job to glorify Jesus? And because here's the thing, if you build your identity around your job, what can happen? You can lose your job. And then who are you? You're going to hear me say, you're going to get tired of me saying this, but I don't care. You're a child of God. You're a child of God, and so don't build yourself worth around a job. Or uh, how about your legacy? I think many of us uh, are like, well, then I'm going to go all in on my family, on my family. How many of you remember your great great grandfather's name? How many of you remember your great 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 grandfather's name? We don't. Really, we're going to be forgotten. I'm just going to brace you for impact. We're going to be forgotten. We're going to be forgotten. Don't build your self-worth on your identity. See, the thing about the light of the kingdom of God is it also tends to reveal the things that are valuable and of eternal value and the things that are not going to last. That's the thing about the light of the kingdom of God. And it brings those things. And many of us like to build, uh, we spend a lot of hours as Americans on hobbies and performance, don't we? I, I just want to confess to you now that I've spent several hours on video games. And when I get done with a video game, I go, oh, Lord, that was such a waste, wasn't it? And hear me, video games are fun for a short time, but when we spend hundreds of thousands of dollars, if anything, if you guys have seen that the, the video game as an industry, video game industry has eclipsed even the movie uh, industry, feature film industry. It's huge. Why? Because we love our hobbies. But at the end of the day, are, are those hobbies, if we utilize video games just for our own entertainment, are they of any eternal value? I met a guy one time. Did you know you can redeem video games? I met a pastor one time that played video games to meet people and share the gospel. So if you do that, you're doing it to the glory of God. Okay? 
The things that we spend so much time building that are useless unless they serve the purpose of expanding the kingdom, then they receive eternal value. And so if, if you're uh, looking at your job now in the light of the kingdom of God, your job now becomes an instrument of building the kingdom. Your hobby now becomes an instrument of building the kingdom if it's living in the light of Christ. Your family becomes an instrument for the building of the kingdom if you're looking at it in the light of the kingdom. Does that make sense? And so that's where the Bible starts to use, even when we talk about our family, it starts to use the terminology that our kids are like arrows that we send out, not people we shelter to hold on to as tight as we can until they're living in our basement at 30. (laughs) So there's this sense that we're training them up for the kingdom of God. We're sending them out into this world to be a light as well and to be revealers. So the danger after hearing this about this idea is that we run around with a flashlight and try to expose everything thinking it's building the kingdom. (laughs) But there's this beauty about the kingdom of God. Who's in charge of it? Jesus is steering the ship. So guys, put your flashlights away and get them out of each other's eyes, right? The kingdom of God in and of itself is a revealer of the hidden Okay, so that's the lamp. Let's talk about the growing seed. Let's talk about the growing seed. Verse 26, and he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and, and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself. For the blade... Then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts the sick in the sickle because the harvest has come. And this is the growing seed. Well, what's the takeaway? Well, for the lamp, the takeaway for us was that the kingdom will shed light on the hidden. But for the growing seed, the principle is this. The kingdom growth is out of human control. How many of you remember as a kid when you were getting measured on the wall, you'd go and you'd stand up on the wall and you'd be like, trying to get taller as best you can? How did it work? It didn't. You couldn't force yourself to grow. And see, many of us, I think, we find ourselves in that position, this idea of the kingdom growth, both individually again and collectively, the kingdom of, of, God, or the kingdom of God progresses out of Jesus' lead. We can't force that to happen. Many have tried in history. It's kind of the difference between the first great awakening and the second great awakening. You guys ever looked at some of those, the differences between those two things? The first great awakening, people just, it was like the spontaneous response to their sin, and um, a guy stood up and he started reading uh, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. How many of you would, would be quick to respond to a sermon like that? But people weeping would come and they'd be so excited about God's grace and so amazed at his, and then there was the second great awakening where people kind of got onto this idea, if you get people out in a tent in the middle of nowhere and you have a big tent revival, they'll get hungry, they'll get emotional, they'll get excited and they'll make decisions. Right? So that's kind of the difference between the, the two great awakenings. And, and uh, the fruit, I, I believe, in history kind of displays itself. When humans have tried to manipulate people into coming to Christ, it doesn't last. That's why I'm not super stoked about debates. I'm not going to argue a single person into the kingdom of heaven. 
It is my goal to sow the seed and to let Jesus do the saving. See, scattering, we can sow the seed, the gospel. So for here, for us, when we look at, uh, he said, the kingdom of God is a man, uh, if a man should scatter the seed on the ground, okay? So we should all be, we talked about this last week, along or in line with Jesus, who is the sower of the seed of truth. So we need to join him in sowing the seed, what? Broadly, with everyone. So much so that people kind of begin to question our sanity. No, you don't have to get that crazy, but there is a sense where the early church did get a little crazy enough that they started calling them little Christs. So we scatter. We are responsible for sowing. Growth is a genuine mystery. And you see this day by day, there's this idea of the rhythm of sowing. The, the man, he sleeps and he rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The important f- part for us is that the, he does not know what? How is it growing? But what does he do? He still rises in sleep. He, he still rises night and day, doesn't he? And so there's this sense that we should have a rhythm of sowing, a rhythm of sowing. This is, if you write this down, I'd, I'd like you to think on this. What is a rhythm of sowing? How many of you, uh, if you didn't um, have some kind of accountability at night, you probably would forget to brush your teeth? Or if there was some, <laughs> like there's something that reminds you, there's a rhythm that you get into that reminds you to do something. How many of you have a rhythm of Bible study where you study every day or you spend time in the Word every day? That's a rhythm, right? We need to, to be aware of these rhythms of sowing. And then we also need to set it up. How many of you are like, I can't remember the last time that I'm, I shared the gospel with somebody? How many of you have like, I've never really shared the gospel with somebody? Well, there's kind of this idea in Scripture that we would have that as a part of a rhythm, that we would put it in, in our, our weekly, our monthly rhythms, that we would go out of our way to try to share the gospel and have gospel or spiritual conversations with people. There's this sense that we want to join Jesus, our elder brother, in the sowing of God's word. So, schedule it. How many of you, if it's not in your calendar, it doesn't get done? How many of you schedule a prayer walk on that college campus or around the block of that high school or that junior high or around your neighborhood, these apartment buildings? You better believe this summer, man, I'm going to be like restaging Jericho. Like I'm going to be prayer walking those. Hopefully the walls don't literally come down, but I pray that the, the, the darkness really does come down and that people get saved. I used to do that at college campuses, dormitories. I put it in my weekly schedule where I would go and I would just walk circles and pray for those on campus. What if you did that at work? What if while everybody took a smoke break, you went on a prayer break? <laughs> There's some ahas going on in this place tonight, t- this morning. Some ahas, that's awesome. Do we have a rhythm where we do that weekly, maybe even daily? Um, I've been so blessed uh, when I think of, uh, I'm, I'm going to pick on Ron, and I've heard, I've heard, Kathy, about the legendary mornings of God's word and prayer that you two have together. And every time, it's like Ron has this beautiful seed of truth that comes from that time. And every time I go, oh, man, I need to do that better. You've challenged me, brother. Thank you. So he, uh, he himself doesn't know, verse 27, he doesn't know how the growth happens, but he still does the, the rhythms, the days, the nights. Um, by the way, I could teach for years with no response. Uh, 
And one, per, uh, one passive statement could bring thousands to Christ. This is what's uh, sometimes maybe encouraging, discouraging about preaching. And we talked about this with the different soils, but I could preach what I think sometimes is the greatest sermon, but where, where it lands and what happens, sometimes on dead, like it just it doesn't go anywhere. And then sometimes I'll say something that has nothing to do with the actual sermon, but it was a side thought. And the Holy Spirit gets to work, and then somebody comes to me afterwards and is like, that story that you shared, that's what moved me. And sometimes it's a mystery, isn't it, brothers and sisters? Boy, that should kind of encourage you about sowing the word of truth. Because if you just do it, who's going to cause the growth? God. And so if you say something stupid and then God uses that something stupid to lead somebody to Christ, amen. That should like take away all the fear. You want to talk about a guy who's messed up when I'm sharing the gospel? Right here. I've messed up, but, you know, by the way, there's a legendary, legendary sermon, five-word sermon leads an entire city to Christ. Can you, do you guys know the story? Jonah. Five-word sermon, <laughs> right? Turn, or you'll be destroyed. Peace out. <laughs> Let's go have lunch. Everybody repents and turns to Jesus. Some of you are like, Shane, we could use some five-word sermons. <laughs> but that's amazing. It, that's, the, that's the mystery of the kingdom of God. God's the one who causes the growth. So don't take credit for our church. Church, a lot of people, I, I just had this great family that was visiting a few weeks ago, and they came to me and said, Shane, you have such a healthy church here, I don't think you realize. And I was like, it's not my church. It's the Lord's. I just have the privilege of being here with these awesome people. I agree. But God is the one who gets the credit. It's like that group project. Anybody in school ever have that group project where you get paired with a smart kid and he does all the work? <laughs> you get, and you get the good grade, right? Well, we get paired with Jesus and we get the good grade. So what? And we walk out and we do stuff, man. When we sow, we can know that the growth will happen on Jesus' time. And we get the good grade because Jesus is the one who's done the work. All right. So let's, let's carry on then to the mustard seed. Everybody say the mustard seed. Okay. So just, just a quick review. The first point was that the kingdom will shed light on the hidden Okay, the second point, the growing seed, the kingdom growth is out of human control. It's not in our control. And the last one is the mustard seed. And here's the thing. The kingdom starts small, but doesn't stay that way. This is the big idea of the mustard seed. The truth about the kingdom of God is it starts small, and it doesn't stay that way. We'll look at the history of humanity. It started with like 100 to 120 really terrified guys. That was the beginning of the church. Now millions of people throughout all of history have professed faith and have been saved by Jesus. It started small and it exploded. That's the mystery of the kingdom of God. And so for us, the little things matter. For us, the little things matter. This is the principle of the mustard seed. Let's uh, read it here. I got ahead of myself. 
And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which, when sown on the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds on the earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and put, puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. And he did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything." So the mustard seed becomes this big thing. So it starts small. By the way, did you ever wonder, particularly in the Roman Empire, why did the church explode in population so fast? It was actually adoption. Because Roman culture hated kids. They were a nuisance. And if they survived childhood, then they would have some worth. You know what the Christians did? They adopted all those kids that everybody else threw out, raised them up in Christ. And the early church blew up in population. Isn't that interesting? Never overlook the small investments in a single person or habit. Small bits of scripture a day. Do you have a reading plan? These are, we don't overlook the small things because they can have big kingdom growth if we don't give up, right? There's that passage. Don't grow weary in doing good for in time you will reap a harvest. So do we invest in the small things? Don't let go. There's a, there's a brother here that told me, I knew I needed to be at church today. And that brother had to walk. And he was like, the little thing, being to church, that's where I need to be. That, many of us are like, that's not a big deal, right? But the little things, it starts with the little things. Small conversational investments. Uh, I think of uh, every, when we talk about rhythms, do you have a small conversational investment every day, every time of week? Do you sit and have a coffee session with the same person at work? Those can be small conversational investments that have huge kingdom impacts. <clears throat> the small things, the basic things, I think of uh, the gospel basics. Many of us, we love to sit and get into arguments about systematic theology, and we miss discussing the basics because we're like, we graduated from that. Do you ever graduate from the gospel? The gospel is God's power of salvation. You think your systematic theology is as powerful as the gospel? Is it basic? Yeah. Is it eternal? Is it mysterious? Is it amazing? And so there's this sense sometimes, uh, I think of the church in Revelation that forgot their first love. What did Jesus tell them to do? Go back to what you did at first. How do you get back your first love of Christianity? Go back to the gospel. Take a look at the gospel again. Go back to the basics of Christianity. Do what you did at first. There's kind of this idea in the church then that the church is supposed to be about multiplication versus addition. And I love this, this idea that uh, addition is like one plus two plus three, that kind of thing. Um, so I, I've heard this, this example um, put, and I love it. It just illustrates this so well. If I were to offer you $1 million today, I heard some, oh, I don't have it, so don't get too excited. Or a penny that doubles each day, which one would you take? Oh, you've heard this one, right? Because the penny doubling every day does what? By 30 days, it becomes over $5 million when you double a penny every day. This is the idea of church growth, 
right? When we invest in that person that's in front of us that God has placed and we raise them up and we invest in them that they would become a disciple maker as we are a disciple maker, what happens? The penny doubles and doubles and doubles. And so the church is about multiplication, not just about addition. Church, if you just invest in one single person this year, And this year, what if you make your goal, I'm just going to pray that that person comes to Christ and I'm going to take every opportunity I can to point them to Jesus. One person this year, I'm going to invest in them for the sake of Jesus. Maybe like, you don't have to go out street preaching. Just take an active investment in a youth, in in a kid, somebody younger than you or somebody at your place of work. It doesn't matter because those small investments can explode. That's the principle of the kingdom, the mustard seed. Pursuing the big picture can sometimes be overwhelming. Anybody? Like that idea of eating an elephant, what do you got to (laughs) do? Man, you guys have heard these before. You guys preach the sermon for me, okay? My life, um, when some of you are saying, I need to get my life back together. Well, maybe it starts by making your bed and praying. You know, maybe it starts by doing these little things, developing these little habits. How many men? Where are you? Everybody go, huh? Okay, there's my men. How many of you actively pray for your wife and kids every single day? That's a little thing that matters. That'll produce big kingdom growth. Exercise, go on a walk and talk with Jesus. I call it a walk and talk. I'm going to go have my walk and talk with Jesus. I'm not very good at sitting in, sitting in the same place and praying. i got to walk and talk with Jesus. How many of you in your broken marriages, man, what if you just set aside time every day that you just prayed, that you just prayed? And if you don't have a, a broken marriage, pray every day for that marriage. Pray for your spouse. You might find that all of that frustration with your spouse goes away when you begin to pray, with, pray for them. One word, of, uh, one word of kindness and hope can keep a person from jumping off the ledge. We've all heard that before, right? But those little things really do matter. How many of you um, had somebody notice when you needed help and they came to you and asked? And it was at that moment, that moment you really needed somebody to notice. Church, what if we were people that noticed? And somebody comes in the door, we didn't just go on to our own thing, but we noticed. We saw people It amazed me how many times as a youth pastor, all I'd have to say is, how are you? And they'd say, good. And I'd say, are you sure? You know, it was just like, no, I'm, I'm a mess right now. It was that second ask because I noticed how many of us are willing to invest in those little things for the kingdom of God. Speak potential. By the way, this means speaking potential over one another instead of just critiquing one another. What if we were people who said, man, I think you could do this. What if we told that to our youth? I think you could pursue Christ. Man, you just speak that encouragement over them. That small word of encouragement can become something pretty incredible, can't it? This is the kingdom of God. And it's progression. Instead of down to one another. Everyone benefits. So the idea, this, this, uh, it ends with this idea of these birds in this tree. What's the picture? Well, don't get too bogged down in the visuals. Really, the idea is that everyone benefits from the kingdom expanding. Well, this is so true of modern Western society, hasn't it? It's benefited so greatly from Judeo-Christian values, hasn't it? 
It's benefited greatly. Those are the very things that they're walking away from now. Art and music exist today because of the kingdom. Even scientific discovery depends on the truth that all creation will respond consistently as if it was designed. You think about that. We have science because of Jesus. And so there's kind of the sense when the kingdom grows, what happens? Everyone benefits. Our community is going to go, oh, what's going on over there at First Baptist Riverton? Because we're starting to see some benefits from that. This community is going to be blessed by us if we understand this principle of sowing small and seeing grow big. See, the kingdom of God is on the move, amen? I'm going to say that one more time because I want some shouts. The kingdom of God is on the move, amen? Good. Good. It moves through groups. It moves through individuals. It will get out of control. Amen? The kingdom of God is going to get out of control. I love that idea that it's just going to grow beyond what we can even sustain. or, or It's going to blow up and it will challenge you and bring things to light. This kingdom is far above and beyond us, yet we get to be a part of it. Isn't that cool? All because of the invitation of Jesus. So when you walk away today, let the light in, even if it hurts. Would you let the light in? Would you let go of control? We're not going to control the movement of God. Sometimes it's going to bubble up over in ways that we are unexpecting. But we're not in control. And number three, would you begin to sow small? Would you start small today? Today. You've got to worry about next year or where you want to be. What is one thing that you can do in the kingdom today? And then do it again tomorrow. Small groups. Ask this question, am I a part of the progressing kingdom of God? If so, how? Am I trying to hide something in my life? What would that be? That might be a dangerous question, small groups. What small, ordinary things can I do that aid the kingdom? What small, ordinary things can I do that will aid the kingdom? I'm going to invite our elders to come up. We're going to have a, a time of communion and so, uh, elders, if you come up and, and grab these, but I just want to give you a time to respond. Would you maybe quietly bow your heads, close your eyes as the men come up? Would you spend a moment checking in with the Lord and ask Him some of those questions up on the, on the screen? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for us as we go into communion. But as I do, I just want to give you, the, the word tells us or kind of cautions us about how the manner in which that we take communion. It's really important for us, brothers and sisters, it says a couple things. If you're here and you're not a believer in Jesus, if you haven't confessed with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, it says that, that this is not for you. This is a time for the believer to rejoice and remember Jesus. And so we just ask, there's no shame, let these elements pass, pass by you. Okay, so if you're not a believer, if you're not a Christian, we practice open communion. So that means that if, if you're here and you're not from our church, but you believe in Jesus, welcome to the table. You can take this with us. Um, and secondly, if you're a believer here and you have strife with another believer, if there's something, there's some dirt, there's some beef there, really the scriptures encourage us to deal with that before we take communion, before we remember the Lord. And so if you've got a problem between you and another believer, 
Would you just let the elements pass by you? You don't need to take them right now until you get right with your brother. Can we do that, church? All right, let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, God, we want to remember you. And Lord Jesus, I pray that the gravity of communion, that we get to enter together into this presence, into this joy with you, God, I pray that, that, that we would not take that lightly. God, that wouldn't be just solemn, but it would also be joyful and weighty at the same time, Lord. We pray that this communion, as we remember you, would take us into your presence and would encourage us at the thought that you saved us by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. So our Lord Jesus, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. We now take it together. And our amazing king, he raised the glass and said, this is my blood shed for you. And so we take this now and we do this in remembrance of Christ, but also in rejoicing for what he accomplished for us. And in solemn awe of what he did for us on that cross, because it was his blood that paid the price for our sin, made us right with God. And so when we take this, we say, yes, Jesus. Would you take this cup with me and say, yes. Father God, we praise you and we thank you, God. We thank you, and we pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we say yes and amen to that, Lord Jesus. Yes and amen. Yes, amen. Oh, Lord, we pray uh, that uh, as we progress from here today, that your kingdom would go with us into this earth. And Lord, I pray for every person here. If they're not a believer, God, that today would be the day of their salvation. And that I, God, I pray, oh Lord, I pray that we would be sent out. Lord, that we would be kingdom bringers. Lord, would you send these out in your name to bring the kingdom to the community of Riverton and to the county of Fremont, to the state of Wyoming, and to the whole of the United States and the globe, Lord, we pray that you would be a part of what you're doing in progressing your kingdom. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.